let's go ahead and get started. We're going to look at uh, redemption tonight. And when we talk about redemption, uh, the definition that, that we want to use or the technical definition is that it's that substitutionary aspect of the cross that delivers man from the slavery of sin through the payment of a ransom. That payment, when we're talking about salvation, is uh, the death of Christ. And so he says, wherein the penalty for the sin debt has been fully paid. We'll develop this a little bit further, but just kind of as a starting theme verse, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19 says this, knowing that you are not redeemed. There's our word. We'll be looking at, the, at those words more closely here in the study. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. When we talk about the meaning of redemption, it's really good to go back that that OT right there is not overtime. It's Old Testament. Redemption is rooted in Old Testament typology, uh, especially a couple of certain uh, types. And we want to look at that here in this first point. The meaning of redemption is, is especially rooted in the historical typology of the Old Testament, illustrated primarily by the Exodus and by the kinsman redeemer concept in the Mosaic law. So let's talk about the Exodus first. Let's go to Exodus chapter 15. And you can see the whole passage is listed there. That's going to be Moses's song after they cross the Red Sea. Exodus 15, we won't read the whole song. Exodus 15, what I want to read and just kind of draw out is in verse 13 in chapter 15. You in your mercy have led forth the people and then notice whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. And then jump down to verse 16. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, or, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. And so we see that same that concept there of purchasing uh, a people redeeming them out from the bondage of, of Egypt. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that because when we talk about the Exodus specifically, we're really focused on two types, if you will, and that's the Passover sacrifice and the crossing of the Red Sea. When it talks about God redeeming Israel out of the house of bondage, the Passover sacrifice and the crossing of the Red Sea are the two primary things that, that we're focused on as it relates to redemption. And since we're at Exodus, let's go to Exodus 6, verses 6 through 7. And we can kind of see this, really God calling his shot here of what he's going to do. Exodus 6, 6 says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And then I will redeem. There's our word, redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Okay. So we see that concept of 
redeeming them. And, and notice in verse six that he's going to redeem them with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And so part of the way he redeemed the nation of Israel from Egypt was through the, the 10 plagues. That was part of the way, part of the cost of doing business, so to speak, or getting them out of there was through the 10 plagues. And, and obviously the 10th plague is the Passover. That was the big one. Now jump over to Deuteronomy chapter seven. And the reason we're reading these two passages is because these two passages use the primary Hebrew words. There's two primary Hebrew words used for redemption. Exodus 6, 6 had one of them. And now Deuteronomy 7, 8 has the second one. Uh, Deuteronomy 7, 8 says this, but because the Lord loves you, because he would keep the oath, which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so we see uh, both Hebrew words used there. And, and oftentimes, honestly, they could be used interchangeably. And they're, and they're largely used in the Old Testament of the nation of Israel's deliverance or redemption from slavery, out of slavery in Egypt, into the promised land. Let me just read one more there. I think I've got on your notes there. Second Samuel uh, 7, uh, verse 22 through 24. 2 Samuel 7, verse 22 through 24. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And what we pick up there from 2 Samuel is a very personal outcome, a personal desired outcome for God by redeeming the nation of Israel. He was doing it for himself. You you see that he says that twice in 2 Samuel In verse 23, he went on to uh, redeem for himself. And then he he also goes on to say that he uh, redeemed for yourself in verse 23 as he switches talking to the Lord, the writer does. The two main Hebrew words, let's look at those now, translated redeem. There's really two two of them, two main words. We'll see as we get into the Greek New Testament um, there's a few other words. They're, they're very related. There's, there's lots of little subtle nuances to the Greek words used. But for the Hebrew words, there's really two main Hebrew words. The first one is ga'al, and that was used in Exodus 6.6. It, it meant to deliver, uh, to save formally, or to redeem. It typically described removing an object from a dangerous situation as an extension of being redeemed from indenture or slavery. This describes being delivered from danger through purchase from slavery with a focus on the relationship to the new masters. You'll see there that, that danger, dangerous situations used there a couple times. And then you also see that the, the concept of purchasing out of that dangerous situation. So this is kind of the emphasis of Gaal. The second Hebrew word is padah, and that was used in Deuteronomy 7, 8, and it meant to cause the freedom or release of a person from bondage 
or ownership, often implying a delivering or rescue of a person in distress. And so you can kind of see all the words, uh, the words are synonymous. They could oftentimes be used synonymously. There's also enough of a distinction and meaning to, to have a certain emphasis, depending on how the word is used. Basically, both of these words are used interchangeably. And they're used interchangeably regarding the nation of Israel's redemption from slavery in Egypt. And, and really, the emphasis is, is twofold. They were delivered from danger, and they were, they were freed or released from bondage. Okay, And what we'll find out more is, is we we'll get into the New Testament even further that this concept of, of there's an economic purchase concept tied in with redemption. And you can kind of see that here, although it's not as clear in the Exodus from, from Egypt necessarily, because it, because it, the idea is like, okay, who did God pay or what did he pay? But in the sense of re- redemption has built within the word, some level of concept of, of purchasing somebody's freedom. And so obviously that becomes very detailed in the new Testament because we can understand exactly how that, that looks. That's some of the typology is in the Exodus from Israel the Passover specifically, the Red Sea deliverance is how the Old Testament uses it. Another type of Old Testament typology used was um, this, this idea of, of redemption or, or the kinsman redeemer. Once Israel was freed from their Egyptian tyranny, the promised land uh, that was parceled out by lot to each Hebrew family at the time of Joshua's conquest was then protected by redemption rights. And this is where this, this idea of a kinsman Redeemer came in. Let's go read about that in Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25, 23 through 24 says this, the land shall not be sold permanently for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. If one of your brethren becomes poor, and has sold some of his possession. And if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But if he is not able to have restored it to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the Jubilee, it shall be released and he shall return to his possession. We see this, the, the land is protected by these redemption rights. And more specifically, if, if, if an Israelite was, was forced to sell his land due to debt or to, he couldn't afford to the upkeep of his land, he had to sell it in order to survive. The, the nation as a whole, whoever bought that land, knew that one day that land would revert back to the original owner, the original family. This is what God had established in the nation of Israel. And so the family's inheritance, again, tied to their their land parcel, could not be sold permanently. We just looked at that in verses 23 and 24. It could be sold temporarily to deliver one from debt, to uh, provide for one's family, you know, an immediate debt uh, issue. In fact, we'll, we'll see later that even as we, we look in this same passage that, that maybe a family had a, had a debt that even their, their um, land couldn't pay. 
enough of, but so they were going to have to put their children into slavery or maybe the father would have to go into slavery. And so maybe they would sell their land to get the money to pay that debt to prevent a relative from having to go into slavery. But we'll also see that if someone was to go into slavery, they too could be redeemed. If a poor relative had to sell his land in order to survive, oftentimes the nearest kinsman was required to buy it back to keep it in the family name. And this person became known as the kinsman redeemer. And look at Leviticus 25, 25. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Clearly here, the the concept of redemption involves a purchase price, a payment of a debt in order to, to free the land to come back to the family. A kinsman could buy that land back and keep it in the family, family name. Uh, the other thing, and I mentioned impoverished people who were forced to sell themselves into slavery could also be redeemed by a kinsman. We find this same concept in teaching also found in Leviticus 25. Let's go down to verse 47. So if a sojourner or stranger close to you becomes rich and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him or anyone who is near of kin to him in his family may redeem him or if he is able, he may redeem himself. Thus he shall reckon with him who bought him. The price of his release shall be according to the number of years from the year that he was sold to him until the year of Jubilee. It shall be according to the time of a hired servant for him, et cetera, et cetera. We can see again this concept of redemption, this concept of kinsman redeemer. And so all of these were were types, if you will, Old Testament types of what we would see in the New Testament through the redemption that that Jesus Christ provided. Moving on then into the New Testament, we want to look at the word usage in the New Testament for the word redemption. The biblical words for redemption in the Greek New Testament are are similar to the the Old Testament words, ga'al and pada, but there are strong economic connotations with this New Testament application. And so let's look at one of the main words translated redemption or to redeem in the New Testament. We'll look at some examples. The, the first main word is, is a Greek word, lutrao, uh, lutrao. And then there's some related words that come off of that. And we'll kind of consider all of those. This is a Greek verb, and it means to set free by, rans- by payment of a ransom. The emphasis here is on the reception of a ransom payment for release. Again, notice that it's a payment that's required for release. And let's look at a couple of usages because the word um, used, this verb is only used three times in the New Testament. Let's look at its use in Luke chapter 24, verse 21. Luke 24, verse 21. And what we're going to see here is this is a very similar use to the Old Testament use because it's talking about freeing the nation of Israel from an oppressor. In the Old Testament, it was used to freeing Israel from the oppressor known as Egypt, who had had them in bondage. In the New Testament, 
in Luke 24, 21, the way it's used is freeing Israel from their oppressor, the Romans. It's stated like this by some of the disciples on the road when they run into Jesus on the road to Emmaus. It says that they say this, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Their mindset there is, is not salvation from the penalty of sin, but redemption of Israel from the oppressing Romans. And so you can see it is, it's used generically there, but the way it's used specifically as it relates to sin's penalty, we can find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. This is a, a, wor- a use of the word lutrao that we're looking at. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed, there's our word, with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know, typical redemption, typical lutrao using this word would have been done with gold and silver, something of material value. And this is Peter's point. This is why he's contrasting. He he said, you know, we weren't redeemed. Believers weren't redeemed by, by gold or silver or something like that. Material value. We were redeemed with something much more precious. And that was the blood of Jesus Christ. So his blood is actually the, the ransom payment for our redemption to be set free by a payment of a ransom. Now, some related words, uh, a noun form of lutrao is lutron. And this Greek noun simply means ransom or the means or instrument by which release or deliverance is made possible. You know, lutrao reflects the action of paying a ransom to free somebody. Lutron really refers to the ransom itself, the the instrument that was used to release. And it's really fascinating because it's this word's only used twice in the New Testament. And what we're going to see, let's go to Matthew 20. What we're going to see is that the instrument or, or the means for release is actually the life of Jesus Christ. It's, it's he himself who, who is our lutron or our ransom, the instrument by which we can be released from our debt. Matthew 20, verse 28 says this, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, to give his life as the means or the instrument that secured our release is what it's saying there. And Mark 10 45 says the same thing. So we've got Lutron related to Lutrao. Notice this next related word, anti-Lutron. So you can see it's, it's still got the base root of Lutron, but now it's got a preposition thrown on, anti. And this is a Greek noun that's a compound term. We've got that preposition thrown onto Lutron. That means substitutionary ransom. And I don't know if you remember or not, it's been a few times we've slept since then, but when we did the study on substitution, one of the primary words used for substitution in the New Testament is this Greek word or preposition that's used here, anti, okay? It it means substitution. And ironically, this is only used one time in the New Testament. Let's go look at its use. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. And, and notice that it's emphasizing substitutionary ransom. In other words, a payment 
that we deserve to pay that somebody else paid for us in our place. First Timothy 2.6 says this, who gave himself a ransom. There's our word, anti-lutron, for all to be testified in due time. And you know what's so what's so interesting about this this verse that's used here, especially as we consider that anti was one of our primary words for substitution. If you remember, and maybe you don't, but the secondary word used for substitution was a Greek word huper. And what's really fascinating about First Timothy two six, not only do we have anti lutron used and translated ransom, but we also have huper translating the word for. And so the, the emphasis there in 1 Timothy 2.6 is, is a strong substitutionary ransom. It says again, he gave, who gave himself a ransom for all, a substitute providing the means or the payment for release is a substitutionary way. So neat to look at those words in a little bit more detail. Another related word is the, is the Greek word lutrosis. And again, you can kind of see the connection. It's a noun. It's a Greek noun. And it means liberation by ransom or to release and set free. Now, the first two uses there, Luke 168 and Luke 238, again, has that, that generic reference of setting Israel free from Rome, setting the nation free. They were They were looking for the Messiah to set them free from their oppressors. And so that's how it's used there. Whereas in Hebrews 9, 12, again, which we'll read it, it's referring to a release from sin's penalty and setting, being set free from sin's penalty. Uh, Hebrews 9, 12 says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. And so we see the, this redemption, this being released and being set free is an eternal setting free from sin's penalty that's reflected here in the, in the word lutrosis and then also the addition of the word eternal there in Hebrews 9, 12. Another related word, and again, you'll see the relation, is apolutrosis. And again, apo is just a Greek preposition meaning away from. That's just kind of added to lutrosis. And this Greek noun is, is used oftentimes as a technical term that always means redemption. And so this noun is actually used 10 times in the New Testament. You've got all the uses there. I want to just show you a different use than what we've emphasized so far, because we've seen kind of a generic use, and I'm going to Romans 8.23. We've seen a generic use of redemption, a, a deliverance or setting free of the nation of Israel from the Romans. We've seen a salvation use of redemption where we're being set free and a ransom has been paid for our sin debt. Here, you're going to see that the word is used in Romans 8.23, for something a little bit different, just a little bit of, of an emphasis. Romans 8, 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. I like that emphasis there that we will be released and set free out of our physical human bodies. And then we'll be given a glorified body. That's the whole context of what we're talking about. That's what we're waiting for is the redemption of our body. We'll be 
taken out of or set free from this old, (laughs) you know, decaying body and be given a new glorified body. And so the emphasis of this word, when we look at it, is the release from a captive condition or the act of freeing one from a state of bondage through, again, payment of a ransom. And so that that should be become a very repetitive concept as we look at redemption. It's a payment of a ransom in order to release us or set us free. That's one of the main words with some of those related words springing off of it. Lutrao is kind of one of the main verbs reflecting redemption. A, A second one is the Greek verb agorazo. And agorazo Uh, is a Greek verb that means to buy from the marketplace, to own for oneself. It meant to acquire things or services in exchange for money or to secure the rights to someone by paying a price. It's actually used 31 times, this Greek word, this Greek verb, it's used 31 times in the New Testament, but it's only translated redeem three times. And it's all used in Revelation. Let's, Let's look at one of those uses. It usages in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Let's go to Revelation 5, 9. And it says, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us. There's the word agorazo. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people. And nation, and so you see that that idea that that there's a purchase that happened, and the price was the blood of Jesus Christ, and so he purchased people, and he did it for his own self, for himself. He purchased them for himself, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so when we see the word multiple times, the word is used describing the Lord buying the believer. And that's, this is where the idea of redemption comes from. In fact, let's go to 1 Corinthians 6.20, and we'll see another use of this Greek word, agorazo, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.20. And you see this idea of purchasing here. 1 Corinthians 6.20, for you, speaking to the believer, were bought. There's our word, agorazo. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, and in your spirit, which are God's. And that, that indicates who, who was doing the purchasing. It was God. God purchased us or bought us from the marketplace for himself. And, he, and, and as many will say, he, he purchased us out of the slave market of sin, where we were in bondage to sin. We were living in, in spiritual death. And so he purchased us out of there for himself. In fact, the next related word communicates just that. It's a purchase out of. So this ex agorazo is just a Greek verb that adds the preposition ek on the front of our original word. And so this places the emphasis on the purchasing of something to remove it from or out of where it was. And this word is used four times in the New Testament. One of the interesting uses is in Galatians 4, 5, because it says basically that we were redeemed out from under the law as it relates to not only justification, law keeping for justification, but also law keeping for sanctification uh, in both ways. Galatians 4, 5, 
Well, let's go to 4-4 so we can get the context. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, there's our word, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's our word, ex agarazzo, to redeem those who were under the law. So what was his whole point? Well, to to purchase us from out of being under the law is kind of the concept communicated there. And then the the usages in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 4, 5 are very similar. So I'm just going to read Ephesians 5, 16, which is a very familiar verse to many of us, but it says redeeming the time. That's the, our Greek word ex agarazzo. It's to buy out of, to buy back, if you will, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so the idea is to re- remove the time away from, from evil influences, if you will, and taking it out of or reclaiming it for something that would glorify God. And that's kind of the idea there in ex agarazzo. And so that kind of gives us uh, an overall view or understanding of the words that were used. Let's dig in a little bit more to the the outcomes, the consequences of redemption. And our third point that we want to look at is that redemption is the purchase price for the forgiveness of sins. This is the price that had to be paid to free someone from the penalty of sin. Probably the best passage to communicate that is found in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 6 through 8. Ephesians 1 six through eight, which says this to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved in him. We have redemption notice through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And we see there from the verse that the the moment that you put your faith in Christ, you are placed into Christ and you have, you presently possess redemption and you, and you possess it, not because you paid the price, but because he paid the price with his own blood. And as a result of that, all of your sins, the the penalty for your sins have been completely taken away, completely forgiven or removed from your responsibility. And that's what redemption does it provides the the purchase price for the the absolute removal of our sins and sins penalty and that's what Christ accomplished and when we talk about redemption in this way it emphasizes the price tag or the cost of salvation you know psalm 49 psalm 49 7 and 8 none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to god a ransom for him, for the redemption of their souls is costly and it shall cease forever. The redemption of our souls is costly. And this is why the redemption price that had to be paid was the precious blood of Christ. That's That was the cost for the redemption of our souls. And so we see that it's very costly. We see that Jesus Christ has paid the sin debt of death. As their Passover sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ is the true kinsman redeemer of Israel. This is so important uh, to understand because Jesus Christ is the the means. He, He himself and his blood paid the price 
for our redemption. The price paid was the blood of Christ. And we looked at that at 1 Peter 1.18. Uh, the way Peter said it's the precious blood of Christ, the costly blood of Christ. You know, the, the most costly price that could ever be paid was the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what he paid for our redemption. The other thing that we, we see, uh, in addition to the purchase price of redemption, is we see that if somebody wants to be the redeemer, they have to be able to do it. They have to be able to pull it off, so to speak. And so Jesus Christ was clearly this. I um, We'll look at some New Testament verses, but I love this, this verse in Job. Job, one of my favorite verses in Job, because it even as, you know, Job was was probably a contemporary of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, sometime in that that range in terms of biblical history. He was right around there. But you can see even in his comment here in Job 19, 25, that he had a concept that his redeemer, the, the Messiah, the coming promised deliverer would be resurrected. And not only that, but that he would live and walk this earth. And so he says this in Job 19, 25, for I know that my redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh, I shall, I shall see God. Not only do we have this concept that, that our Redeemer is able to conquer death, that he himself will stand on the earth. But notice what Job goes on to say, because of that truth, Job knew that he too would be resurrected one day. That's what he says, after my skin is destroyed, in other words, after I rot, my body rots in the grave, I know that in my flesh I shall see God. So you see he's got this concept of life after death in a resurrection body. Just kind of neat to see that, but, but our Redeemer is able to redeem. One of the things that we see and we've looked at even, I think it was last week in Philippians 2, that Jesus Christ is human and thus able to pay the exact penalty or ransom, which is death. Philippians chapter two, let's let's go there. We'll read this again. Philippians chapter two, verses six through eight reads this, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and then being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ paid the exact penalty or ransom in order to redeem us. He he died. He didn't just play dead or act dead or go through the motions of being uh, tortured and then not die. He, He physically died. And because he was fully human, he was able uh, to die and pay the exact penalty needed, the exact ransom needed. But the good news is that Jesus was also sinless. Second Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, it means he was sinless, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we see not only was he human, but he was sinless. And thus, he didn't have a death penalty that he had to pay himself. Thus, he was free to die for others. We also see that Jesus Christ was willing to redeem. He wasn't forced to do this. In Matthew 26, he willingly gave up his own will 
and yielded to the Father's will. And very familiar verse, but Matthew 26, 39 says, and, and he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so we see we had a willing redeemer. And then Jesus Christ is God. And thus his payment of the ransom is enough for everyone and anyone who will trust in his payment for them. And so you've got, we've looked at that, the incarnation, you know, what we called, or what theologians call the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, united in one person, which was necessary because to be fully human meant that he could pay the exact penalty needed, the exact ransom, which was death, but being fully God and sinless, basically showing us that his death could apply to anyone. It was an infinite and eternal death that could apply to anyone who will simply trust in him. And so we see that the redeemer must be able to redeem. Jesus Christ was the perfect fulfillment of someone who was able. And not only was he able, but he was willing and he did it. Finally, looking at redemption, it is God's solution. Because redemption is directed to fully solve man's helpless estate in the realm of sin and death. Let's look at a couple of reasons why man is redeemed and why Jesus Christ himself paid the cost and paid the ransom for man. Uh, Galatians 3.13 is going to tell us that man is redeemed from the curse of the law. Every man, woman, and child was susceptible to this curse, and yet Jesus paid that penalty to deliver us or to set us free from the curse of the law. Look at Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. What does that mean? For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. See, Jesus Christ took the curse of the law, which was death, which was the penalty for sin thus freeing us or releasing us from the obligation to have to pay that price. He paid the price, became our ransom for that. We also see that man is redeemed from the dominion of sin. Look at Titus 2.14. Titus 2.14 says this, speaking of Jesus who gave himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And see, not only did he redeem us to release us and set us free from the penalty of sin, but he also redeemed us to release us and set us free from the dominion of sin, the power of sin. So it wouldn't dominate our life. And so we see it even connected there for us in Titus 2.14, that he might redeem us from what? Every lawless deed. And then purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And so we see redemption has an outcome there in the the realm of the power of sin. We also see that that redemption is God's solution for man because man is redeemed from the dominion of Satan. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, speaking of Jesus, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, 
And notice the next word, release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And you see what he says there is that he might release them. So through death, he might release us. And that's exactly what redemption is. The price was death. The end goal was to release us from the dominion of Satan, release us from the the bondage of fear of death, knowing that we have life on the other side of death. We can be released from the fear of that bondage. And then finally, man shall be redeemed from his fallen estate into a glorified state, completely delivered from sin's very presence. And we saw that in Romans 8.23, when it talks about the redemption of our body, you know, that, that freedom, that release from this, this body that's just falling apart and breaking down. And, and one day at the rapture of the church, either you're going to be alive and you're going to be caught up together um, in the clouds with the Lord Jesus, or you, you will have died by that day and you will be raised first. And that body that comes out of the ground is going to be swallowed up in a glorified body as it reunites with your soul on the day of the rapture. Very encouraging things to see how redemption is God's solution for a lot of things. And and to know that when Jesus cried out, it is finished, that was an accounting term as well. And it just meant paid in full. What, What did he pay in full? Well, he paid the redemption price. He paid the ransom. And he did so in order to release you from ever having to be responsible for that payment yourself. Let me go ahead and close this with a word of prayer and then uh, we'll, we'll bid each other good night. Lord, thanks for the study of your word. Just as we dive into this, these are things obviously that we've heard before, but they are just so rich to consider all of the, the background working, if you will, of, of what you accomplished, the, the detail, the, the preciseness, the uh, everything that you did in order not to violate your character, but to keep your character intact and yet to meet all the demands of the different, different aspects of your character, your justice, your mercy, your love, the required payment for sins, debt, all of those things. And, and just the way you have beautifully put that together in the salvation package offered through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are just so thankful to you, your infinite wisdom. Thank you for teaching us these these things. And may we, this week, as we walk and live and move in our day-to-day life, may we be occupied with your son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.